0: You were listening to a message from The Exchange in Pearl, Mississippi. To find out more about The Exchange, go to www.theexchange.cc. Well, hey, look, I'm Tim, and I am the discipleship and missions pastor here at The Exchange. And um, I just wanted to share some things with you. Is it okay if, uh, if I be honest with you guys this morning? It really annoys me when people ask you questions that they already know the answer to. You ever had somebody ask you a question like that? I'm not talking about when you ask your wife where to go to eat and you have to guess the thing, okay? But what I'm talking about is they'll ask you questions like this. You want to know what I think... And so in my brain, I accidentally like think things. So somebody will say, you want to know what I think? And I'm like, no, but I'm sure you're about to tell me. Like Those are the things that just come across in my brain. And so I thought it'd be cool to share some of these with you this morning. And so like people say, you want to know what I think? Or they'll say, you want my two cents? And I'm like, I didn't really ask for your opinion, but you're probably about to give it to me. So I'm just getting ready for it. You know what I mean? Um, Or, uh, you know what I mean? Which I just said like a million times. No, if I knew what you meant, you wouldn't have to explain it to me. Like, people ask you these crazy questions. Or, how about this one? Can I be honest with you? I hate when people ask me that. I would rather you be honest with me. Don't lie to me. Tell me the truth, right? Um, Or maybe like a deviation of that is let's be honest. Let's be honest. I used to have a boss that would say that Tim, let's be honest. I'm like, dude, I've been being honest with you. I would, I would like for you to be honest with me. Like, I don't understand why you're saying let's be honest. But that's kind of where I want to land today. I, I, that's why I've, today the talk is just going to be called Let's Be Honest and because I really want us to be honest with each other today. Um, the thing about honesty is, is honesty is, is just refreshing. You know what I mean? Like, like do you ever, have you ever had that friend that is just like brutally honest with you? You know what I'm talking about? Like no matter what you ask them, they're just gonna tell you the truth, whether you like it or not. And that's just so refreshing to have that friend. This is what I mean. Like, like they may ask you a question like, do these you you may ask them a question like, do these jeans make me look fat? And they're like, Yes. <laughs> you need to take them off. You need to go back and change. Do they make you look fat? Let me count the waves. Like, if you need to go change your pants, right? Okay. Or maybe you're like, man, I'm in this situation. And I don't really know what to do. Can, you know, what do you think I should do? And they're gonna be honest with you, they're gonna tell you, I wouldn't have gotten that situation in the first place. I mean, that kind of friend is a valuable friend to have. If you don't have an honest friend, you need to go find one because they're going to keep you straight. And it's just refreshing. There's value in honesty, right? Um, Also, I I just want to share with you, if we're talking about honesty, that I've decided a long time ago, it is just not a good idea for me to lie. I'm I'm just being real with you. Like, it's not a good idea for me to lie. If you know me, I have a terrible memory, okay? I told the first uh, service, and I'll tell you, I rolled up on a lady this morning. I was like, hey, my name's Tim. And she's like, yeah, I know. I I go to the exchange. We've talked before. And I'm like, oh, yeah, she's actually in here right now. And I felt so bad. And I was like, oh, my gosh. But, I mean, like, that's, that's just me. Like, my brain just doesn't work all the time. It's a miracle that I'm even telling you what I've memorized right now, even now. And so, anyway, not standing up here like an idiot. All right, but anyway... There's just value and honesty. And so I decided a long time ago it's not a good idea to lie because I can't remember what I told you in the first place. I might say, uh, yeah, we're not going to be able to make it because I'm sick, you know. And then you see me a couple of days later, you're like, how you feeling? How's the family? I'm like, man, we're great. Why? And you're like, oh, well, you know, a couple of days ago you were sick. I'm like, oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot. Man, I can't remember. So I just decided it's just not a good idea for me to lie. Plus, Jesus doesn't like it. So it kind of works out. Um, but anyway not only, not only is there value in honesty, but like, honesty is just a good place to be. And so this morning, that's kind of where we, that's kind of where I want to be, is just, I I just want us to be honest. I want to be honest with you guys, and I want y'all to be honest with me. But most of all this morning, I, I just want you to be honest with yourself. So, one of the first things, I'm actually going to talk about three things that I want us to be honest with this morning, honest about this morning. And uh, the first thing is salvation. I think we really need to be honest about salvation. And, and at this point, you may say, ah, oh, this is another message about salvation, and you just, you're just you tempted to check out. But let me encourage you, please don't check out, because there's a lot of truth that I want to introduce today or that I want to remind you of, and I think it's really important, so don't check out, okay? But as we're being honest about salvation, uh, what I want you to know is is that, we, we, w- we really want to kind of look at what it means to be saved. And, and I'll tell you the truth, like, I really don't like using the word saved when I'm talking to people. And you may think I'm crazy, but the world has put such a spin on the word saved. And to be honest, us Christians really have confused people as to what it really means to be saved. I mean, so many people say so many different things. And so what I think is important is for us to just look at the word, look at the Bible and see what it says to be saved. And so I just want to look at this first scripture Acts 16:30 30 through 31. It says he then brought them out and asked, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" And they replied, "Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household." So that's pretty easy, right? I, I can get on board with that. All you got to do is believe, right? I mean, if it's that easy, then what's the big deal? But then we look over in James in James 2:19 and it says this. You believe that there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. And so then I take a step back and I'm like, well, okay, well, hang on a second. Like, like he says that we should believe, but then it says the demons should believe or they do believe and they're scared. And why are they scared? Because they know what's coming in the end for them in judgment. And so I want us to consider this morning, it is what we believe about Jesus that brings about salvation, It's what we believe about Jesus that brings about salvation. See, there's a lot of people that call Jesus Savior based on the fact that he met a physical need for them, that there was a physical benefit. This is what I mean. Um, Think about a guy who's got terminal cancer, and he's, he's really struggling with it, and so he prays to a God that he doesn't know, and he says, God, if you will save me from this cancer, I'll live for you. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. God, just save me from this cancer. One of two things is going to happen. Number one, he's going to get healed from the cancer, and he's going to go around telling everybody how God saved his life and how, he, how they, uh, God saved him from this cancer. And he's going to be a really good testimony to people. Or the cancer is going to get worse and worse and worse. And then when he's laid on his deathbed, he's going to hate God for not saving him from that cancer. Or think about it like this. Like maybe there's a mom whose child has gone wayward. Like they're in the world and they're doing all the things in the world like drugs and alcohol and all of the things that the world has to offer. And she prays to a God that she doesn't know yet and doesn't have a relationship with and says, hey, if you want a relationship with me, you save my son. We're going to make a deal here. You save my son and I'll come and follow you. And I'll be hardcore following you. One of two things is going to happen, right? He's either going to straighten up his life He's going to start living right and getting off of alcohol and drugs and be delivered from those things. And then she's going to start living her life and going and being a testimony to other people about how God saved her son. Or he's going to get deeper and deeper into the things of the world until tragedy finally strikes. And she's going to hate God because he didn't save her son. And so what I want you to consider this morning is that some people follow Jesus based on the fact that he met a physical need for them. And I'm going to tell you this morning, you cannot make a deal with God. You want to know why you can't make a deal with God? Because you can't hold up your end. It's true that God can deliver people and it's true that God wants to answer prayers. But while God may deliver some from cancer or heal heal somebody from cancer or deliver them from like drugs and alcohol, these are not reasons to believe. So I want you to write this down this morning if you're taking notes. I think this is super important. Those who are devoted to God because he met a physical need will have shared devotion with others who meet physical needs. Let me say that again. Those who are devoted to God because he met a physical need will have shared devotion with others who meet physical needs. This is what I mean. Listen, doctors can, can heal you from an illness, right? Right? Uh, a psychiatrist can work with you and help you through like a hard time or like like a uh, stressful time or grief or something like that. A good friend can help you through a hard time in life, right? But you and I both know when one of those things fails, we look for another alternative, don't we? If a doctor gives you a report that you don't like, what do you do? Get a second opinion, don't you? yeah. If a psychiatrist is not helping you through the, this thing that you're struggling with, whether it's anxiety or depression, and you're just not getting results, what do you do? You find another psychiatrist, right? Or, or maybe that friend, you're going through that hard season, and that friend is not there for you. They're not returning calls, and they're not ex- answering texts. And if I've done that to you, I apologize. But when that good friend is not there for you, what do you do? You find another friend, right? And so this is something that's important that you may want to write down to when there's belief because of physical benefit, there will also be unbelief in the lack of physical benefit. And say it one more time: When there's belief because of physical benefit, there will also be unbelief in the lack of physical benefit. I'm going to say this morning that I'm I'm going to guess that there's some people in here who probably were saved because they didn't want to go to hell. Maybe that's you, maybe that's somebody you know, but can I just tell you, although that's a really great motivator for being saved, it's not the reason that we get saved. It's not. You see, Jesus did something that no one else on earth could do. He met a spiritual need for you that no one else could meet, that every single one of us have. And the next statements that I'm about to say should make the hair on your neck stand up and give you chill bumps. But he died for every one of your sins from the time you were born until the time you die. All of those sins. And can I just say, if you're like me, it's a lot. That's a lot of sins. And because he died for you, you will not have to pay the price in the end. You will not have to pay the price for your sin. You understand that? And then on top of that, like he paid the price for everybody's sin that is living right now. Every single person compounded. That's a whole lot of sin. Do you agree? And then think about the fact that from the beginning of time to the end of time, all of those people who have ever lived and will ever live, all of that sin was placed on Jesus at one time and he paid that price in one moment for all of us. And that alone should be the reason that you're saved. And whether he ever answers another prayer for you, whether he ever heals you from another issue, or whether he ever blesses you with another thing, the fact that he died on the cross should be the only reason that you call him Savior. So that brings us to our first truth of the day. Salvation is not about what Jesus can do for you. It's about what he's already done for you. Listen, we don't call him Savior to get into heaven. And we don't call him Savior to have a better life. We call him Savior because he died and he paid for your sins. And if you call him Savior for any other reason, you need to be honest with yourself today and you need to have the most important conversation with God that you've ever had. So the second thing we need to be honest about is lordship. So there are a lot of people out there who call Jesus Lord. Would you agree? And so whether they heard it from grandma or grandpa, or maybe they heard it from the pulpit a couple of times, or maybe they even use it in place of like a swear word, like, Lord, you know, like I go in Walmart and I look at people, I'm like, Lord, like, how'd you come out of the house like that? Like, I don't even know. It's crazy. But a lot of people just use that word so flippantly. But the fact is, is that when you call Jesus Lord, you are saying, hey, I'm submitting to you. Like, Like, you are Lord. You take control of my life. The Bible mentions that we uh, we believe in Christ. When we believe in Christ, we declare him Lord. Um, how many of you guys ever played Mercy growing up? Did y'all ever play Mercy? All right. So if you, if you played Mercy, throw up your hand real quick. Let me see. If you're online, throw up a little hand emoji. Let us know that you played Mercy so we know what kind of person you are. All right. So this was before video games, okay? But if you ever played Mercy, what would happen is you and another opponent, normally me and my brother, Um, would lock hands like this, okay? And you would like squeeze and you would like bend his arm and he would be bending your arm. And basically the point of the game is messed up. But like (laughs) the point of the game is to basically whoop that person down into submission where they're on the ground and they have to yell out what? Right. And so you didn't say mercy until you gave up. Some of the kids in here are like, yeah, I'm gonna go home and play with my dad tonight. Yeah, play with my friends. Look, you didn't give up until you, you you didn't say mercy until you gave up. And when you said mercy, you were basically saying, Hey, I submit, stop, stop, please stop hurting my hand. Like you're in control. Just just stop. And in the same way, calling Jesus Lord is a move of submission. It is a move of submission, and it is saying, Jesus, I give up. You're in control. I kind of explain it to people like this. Um, Whenever you make Jesus Lord of your life, you take you off of the throne of your life and you put Jesus on that throne. That's what happens when you call Jesus Lord and you really mean it. He's on the throne of your life. And let me tell you something. I'll just be honest with you. There's some days where I get to the end of the day and I have to tell God, man, I messed it up. I took you off and I put me back on there and I really messed the day up. And I have to repent. And ask him. I have to ask him to forgive me. And I have to put him back on the throne. And for you, it may be a daily thing where you wake up in the morning and you say, Jesus, before the day even gets started, I need you on the throne of my life today because I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to royally just flip it upside down, God. And so I need your help. And so some of you here today, you probably say, well, Tim... I got that, man, I'm saved, and, and uh, Jesus is Lord of my life. And, and so I would say, man, that's awesome. Like, that's phenomenal. But then I would say, I got a couple of questions for you. Because if you call him Lord, he really needs to be Lord. And so I want you to think about these questions as I say them. Don't say them out loud, because I ain't trying to embarrass anybody. Say them to yourself, Okay but whose kingdom are you living for right now? And what I mean by that is, do the decisions you make in life benefit his kingdom or your kingdom? Does the path you're on glorify you or God? In what areas of life are you stepping out of your comfort zone to follow him? What risks are you taking for the sake of the gospel? I believe the answers to these questions will help you really realize if Jesus is Lord of your life. If he's really Lord of your life, here's what I know. Jesus doesn't want lip service. He wants lordship. He doesn't want to be called Lord of your life. He wants to be Lord of your life. So there's an example in Matthew that we're going to take a look at of Calling Jesus Lord, but not actually making him Lord, okay? And it's in Matthew seven twenty two through 23. It says, many will say to me on that day, this is judgment day. This is when we're standing before God in the end. And it says, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons. And in your name, perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Ouch. Like, that's going to hurt to hear. But you can call him Lord and not make him Lord. You can know his name and not have a relationship with him. So let me ask you, what would you do if God called you right now, if he spoke clearly to you to do something crazy, something like go overseas and be a missionary, or go to this town and start a church, or even like host a life group? Y'all know I had to throw that in there, right? (laughs) But what if he called you to do something crazy right now and you knew for sure it was him, would you immediately try to just discredit it? Like, was that God? I mean, was that Taco Bell that I had last night? I mean, like, was that really him? Would you immediately say, yes, Lord? Or would you need two days to pray or two weeks to pray or two months to pray or two years to pray about it? Do you need the clouds to open up and for God to just... Open up the heavens and send a, like a swarm of bees to spell out the, the sentence in front of your face, like God sends you a sign for you to do this. Is he lord of your life or is he isn't? Is he not? Maybe it's smaller than that. Maybe he just wants you to encourage that person at the gas station. Or maybe he wants you to just pay for the meal for the people across the restaurant for you. And maybe that means it's going to be uncomfortable. Maybe you you have to stand somewhere in a gas station talking to somebody when you really need to be on your way to doing something else. Or maybe you don't like talking to people and it's going to be uncomfortable. Or maybe you're going to have to order something a little cheaper on the menu so that you can help pay for somebody else's meal to show them the love of Christ. Or maybe it's simply just he just wants you to pray. Maybe he just wants you to read the Word. Maybe he just wants you to be part of spiritual community or at least just make him a priority over the other things that are running your life. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of things that run our lives into the ground and then at the end of the day we realize, man, we didn't have time for Jesus today. Maybe he just wants you to make him a priority today. So my question is, at what level would you say that you've submitted to God's will? Is it just the name you have for him? You see, when we truly understand what he did for us on the cross, when we truly understand the price that he paid, it just makes sense to submit to his will. It makes sense to live for him. That our wants and our wills are no longer a priority, but we search out his desires and his will, which brings us to our second truth of the day. Lord isn't just a name for Jesus. It's a place of authority for Him over our life. Lord isn't just a name for Jesus. It's not. It's a place of authority for Him over our life. A lot of people say His name without fully knowing the power that rests in His name or the submission that it takes to live for Him. Today, if it's just a name you use for Him, then you need to be really honest with yourself. And I think today you need to submit to his will and make him Lord of your life. The third thing we need to be honest about is God the Father. Um, a lot of people love to call God their Father. Um, Christians especially, they'll say, oh, you ever hear people pray and they'll say, oh, Father, or um, I've heard, even heard some people pray, Dad. And I'm okay with all of those things. Um, when people pray and they are, they're talking to God or they're talking about God, a lot of times they've had a really healthy family life. They had a really good dad, and he was always there for them, and he loved them. And so for those people, it's super easy to refer to God as dad, because they have a really good relationship with their dad. But then for some of us, um, we didn't have a really good relationship with the dad, you know? Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe he had a job where he was gone all the time, or maybe he was just absent. Maybe he ran out on your family, or maybe he was in prison. But you didn't ever see your dad, And so it's really hard for you to relate to God as a father or possibly the father was there, but he hurt your family or he abused you or he wronged your family. And so for you to say, God, my father, does that make sense? And so I think it would be really cool for us to look at a couple of scriptures that help us to identify God as our father. In Matthew 6, 9, Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray and He says, This, then, is how you should pray. God, our Father, hallowed be thy name. And this is really cool to me because as Jesus is talking to the disciples, he's not just referring to God as his Father because he's the Son of God, right? So, of course, he would say Father. But he said, this is how you should pray. And so he's saying, hey, you can call God Father. And then on top of that, he said, said, our, right? He said, our Father in heaven. And he's saying, hey, we're a family. You call God Father, I call God Father. You're coming into the family. And I love this because it refers to a relationship between us and God. And Jesus is trying to help us to understand what a relationship with the God of the universe is like. And it's like having a really good dad. It even goes on to say in Romans that when you receive the Spirit, it brings about an adoption into spiritual family and we can legitimately call God our father. Look at Romans 8:15 with me. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Again, rather the spirit you spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, "Abba, Father." And Abba just means daddy. And so what he's saying is, is look, when you receive the Spirit, man, you're adopted into the family. You can call me daddy. And for some of you guys that had a terrible relationship with your dad or didn't have a relationship with all, he's saying, I'm different, and I can adopt you into my family, and I will be your good daddy. I will be your good father. The Bible even says that he wants to give us good gifts. I'm down for that. Anybody want a good gift, right? I mean, like, if he's giving out gifts, I'm ready to receive, in In uh, matthew seven nine through eleven it says, "Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will you give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who asks him? He's a good daddy, like he wants to be our father." He wants to adopt us into the family and he wants to give us good things. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament refers to God as our father 13 times. Jesus referred to God as his father over 150 times. And Jesus also spoke of God as being our father 30 times. That's a grand total of 193 times the Bible says that he's our father. I don't know about you, but I think he wants to be our father. He wants to be our father. He wants to give us good gifts. And those who didn't have fathers or had bad fathers, he wants to adopt us into the family, into the spiritual family. And he wants to show us what it's like to have a good father. So growing up, um, my brother, I have a brother and a sister. And basically, um, we, we had a really good relationship with our dad. We were very fortunate. We had a good home life. Um, and so I can remember when my dad would come home from work, uh, man, he would just be whooped down. He was a mechanic and he worked really hard. My mom also worked very hard to provide for our family. They both worked very hard. But he would come home from work and he would kick off his old work boots and he would lay back in that recliner and you could hear that mug squeak open all the way across the house. You know, like as soon as that thing laid back, you knew his dad was home and he would click on the TV. And really what he wanted to do was just rest for just a minute. And, and I, and I had to apologize to him because we, we never let him rest. And so as soon as we heard that recliner open, we were all running to try to see him or, or talk to him or whatever. And we would always crawl up in the recliner beside him, and um, I don't know how, but there was room in between him and that one arm or whatever, anyway. And I remember this one specific time that my sister, who was a teenager at the time, she jumped up in beside him and um, she was just sitting there with him or whatever, and she kind of looked over at him. And in just the sweetest voice ever, she said, Daddy, I love you. And so he looked at her in the most sarcastic voice ever and said, What do you want? <laughs> and so, of course, she wanted money <laughs> to go out with her friends. And, of course, she batted those big old eyelashes and got whatever she wanted because we were boys and she was, girls, uh, she was a girl and she got whatever she wanted all the time. And so, anyway, God is like that. He wants us to be able to come into his presence and ask him for things. He wants to give us good things. But I believe this is where we need to be honest this morning. Yes, God is our good father. And yes, he wants to give us things. But hear me, he is not your butler. And he is not your vending machine. And he is not just hanging out in heaven waiting on you to ask for the next cool thing that you think you need to have or get you out of that situation that just makes you feel uncomfortable. He's not waiting on that. People who use God like this are still Lord of their own lives and they're still pursuing their own kingdoms and the things that they want and their will. But a person submitted to the Lordship of Christ and coming under the authority of the Father, they. They ask for what he wants them to do and how they can serve him. And I believe that only when we submit to the Lord, to him as Lord, can he become our Father. You know, with my dad, um, before I even asked him for things, I knew I knew he was going to say no. Like like there were certain things that I was going to ask for that I already knew he was going to say no. You know what I mean? Like like. I would ask him for stuff, and I'm, in my heart, I'm like, yeah, he's not going to give me this. And whether it was because of his standards or because of his budget or just like he knew that it wasn't good for me, I knew that he was going to say no. But you know what? As I matured, I took on his standards, unintentionally. I took on his budget, and I started to understand the things that were good for me and bad for me. And in the same way, our good Father gradually replaces our desires for His because He knows what's best for us. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you shouldn't ask Him for things. I believe we need to ask Him for things, and I, I think we need to ask Him for healing. God wants us to come to Him and ask Him. Philippians 4, 6 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What I am saying is that when you are submitted to his will, understanding what he did for you on the cross, the things you ask for look different and they sound different and your desires start to line up with his desires. I'll tell you another thing about my dad. He used to say, my house, my rules. You ever heard that? And so when I used to lay my head down on the pillow at night in my bed under his roof, I was agreeing to the terms of being a part of his family. I was coming under the authority of my dad, my father. And this brings us to our last truth. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. Let me say that one more time, in case you didn't hear me. We don't, uh, God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. Listen, when we take on the identity of Christ and join the family of God, we gain an excellent father. And as we're adopted into the family of God, he starts to teach us and instill in us the values of his family. So I said we were going to be honest. And so if I'm really, really honest with you this morning, these things come as a package deal. We talked about salvation and then we talked about lordship. And then we talked about God as our father. And I'm just going to be honest with you this morning, like those things come as a package deal. You can't, you can't be saved and then not make him lord. He can't be lord of your life, but then not be the father of your life. You understand what I'm saying? And he definitely can't be father and give you all the things you want, and, you, and then you're not saved. These things come as a package deal. And so I kind of want to show you real quick what this, what this looks like. If you truly realize what he's done for you on the cross, then you are overwhelmingly motivated to submit to his will. And if you're truly submitted to his will, then you willingly lay aside, lay your will aside, joining the family and coming under the authority and the will of God the Father. And when you're in relationship with the Father, you understand that the goodness of a God who would give his son as payment for sin... They build on each other, and they all come together. But in the same way that those build on each other, the opposite is true. I'm going to say what I said to you back, but I'm going to say it backwards. You ready? If you follow Christ for any other reason than the fact that he saved you from your sin, you will never fully submit to his will. If you never submit to his will, then you'll never fully understand what it means to be a part of the family of God. And if you're not interested in coming under the authority of the Father, then you don't fully understand what He did for you on the cross, paying for your sin. So my question for you today is, are you capable of being honest with yourself this morning? That's my question. Is He Savior because He paid for your sin? Because if it's for any other reason, you better check it. Is He Lord because you are fully submitting to your to? you are fully submitting to His will? Or is it just the name you've given Him? Is He Father because you fully trust in His wisdom and acknowledge His authority? Because as Father, you've got to agree to the terms of the family. You've got to come under His authority. I'm going to say it like this. Is He Savior? Is He Lord of your life? Do you treat him like a good father? Or are these just names that you've given him to blend in with the Christian crowd of the South? Thanks for listening to this message from The Exchange. If you would like to talk to someone about your faith journey, you can contact us through our website, www.theexchange.cc or by calling or texting 601-397-6111. Now let's go be the church.